Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. Today, I am joined by Rene Papesh, a co-founder and CTO at RiskWolf. Rene, how are you doing today? Hi, Michael. Thanks a lot. Um, I'm doing quite well. It's really nice to be on your show. It's good to have you here. Can you give our listeners a little bit of your background for context? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was always interested in technology. Also, when I, for instance, started really getting really into into it when when I was like 15, I I was operating like um, a website oh, wow. for teaching teaching people how they can put like they their activities online, and. And this was a little bit my starting point, and also got really interested in, in, in web technology and databases and so on. And also there, I have seen that data data is the key in the end. Got it. I, I'm from Vienna, so I was born in Vienna, and all there I went to school. And at school itself, also went to one of the schools, um, really focusing on that aspect. This was also quite new, so it was I was on the second class that they were doing this. So we also were starting working already with. With computers at school, and this was also quite interesting um, to get really deep into the into the technology space, and, and I was really enjoying it. And back then, I was really more focusing on on the website and also more on media. And after it, um, I also decided to go to university. And on, on university, I specialized more on the business side. So I will have always seen that it's not enough to only look at the IT aspect but also understand the business um, context a bit better. So I was studying um, business informatics. That's also a little bit of specialty here. It's the com- combination between computer science and, and business. So they were teaching us uh, quite a broad knowledge. And at university, on my master degree, I was then more specializing into the economics um, area. And there I've really got into the whole area of data and data science. Oh, okay. And after university, basically, I was looking for a job. But back then, it was quite interesting because no one was looking for a data scientist. And I had now built up some solid knowledge around that. So how to deal with really this large amount of data running analytical models and so on and so forth. But the market wasn't ready, more from a job perspective. And I really wanted to go into this direction, not starting somewhere and doing something else. And luckily, like after some months, I found also one a small company called Kupira. It's like a consulting company in the Munich area. And they were quite open for new stuff. And they said, yeah, look, let's have a look how the customer reaction will be. You have to do a little bit stuff on the side. So they said, okay, you can really focus on the data science aspect, but you also have to do a little bit on SAP. So, okay, this might be an interesting trade-off, doing something that you like, but then also doing more um, kind of a traditional business that that, that um, satisfies your salary at the moment. And yeah. this was also a little bit how I was ending up at my first job in the end, in the consulting consulting business. Got it. What was it about the DVD, uploading the DVDs, that was so interesting to you? When I was young, I was really interested in the movies, on, and I also had several DVDs, and then I was building up a kind of a, a media center, and, and it was more easily to, to build it up, um, like a kind of a, a movies on, on your hard drive instead of um, dealing with these tons of DVDs. Right. 
And then I also really got into this topic, how to convert videos and how to how to put them basically from, from the DVD on, on your hard drive. It's just funny you say that because I was really into this and I'm trying to find the name of the piece of software that I used that let me rip my DVDs. So not my CDs, but my DVDs because I loved the idea, particularly when Apple TV came out, that I could just take all my DVDs and put them online for me, right? And then I could serve yes. them to any computer in my house and also connect that Apple TV to my television set and then just watch them whenever I wanted. I thought, just thought that was so cool. Yeah, definitely. This was also, I was really enjoying it. And then I, for myself, I was just playing around with the whole stuff. And then um, some other friend asked me, how, how have you done it? And then I was giving him some, some guidance on this, <laughs> like writing a small, a small text. Then a friend of him said, yeah, I'm also interested. Send me this over. And then I thought, yeah, why not, why not do um, a website around of that? And this, this website was called Austrian Tfix. Nice. And it was just a, a small community where people just shared how their, their experience was more on this kind of um, space around this video, video recording, video, video cutting, and how to put them, put them compressed on, on your hard drive, basically. Yeah. I love it. I use something called Handbrake. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but I use Handbrake to rip all my DVDs. And I think it actually, in the end, it actually handled Blu-ray as well. But that's a talk for another time. Do you do you write your own code as well still? Yes, definitely. Um, previously, um, at the moment, not not too much. But previously, I also yeah know some some different programming languages. But I can also write code by my own. And now a little bit more f focusing on on the functional programming aspect for more on the, on the data space to put out quite quickly some visualizations or some summaries on on, on our data sets in the end. Got it. Look, talk to me about the origins of Risk Wolf, right? Where did the idea come from? Because it's kind of complex, right? That you should link these kind of real-world events and measurements and then merge them with, I don't want to say necessarily existing insurance practices, but link them into the insurance business. How did that come about? Yeah, basically, as I mentioned, with the first job, I was starting in this consulting space. And mm -hmm. then the company was sending me around a bit. So it was not that my project were here in Vienna. It was... I had some project in, in Frankfurt and, and also in the Munich area, so more on the Europe side. And then I got into a project in Zurich for a major reinsurance company. Got it. Where they did a big digital transformation project to turn um, their core systems around. Okay. And what I have seen here, I started their models on the reporting side, so really about in the financial reporting area. And this is, was a multi-year project. And going from, from there with the project, I was just moving across yeah, a big portion of the value chain of, the, of this uh, reinsurance company. And it was quite interesting to see the different departments, for instance, as it was starting more on the group side and then um, merge, uh, going into the finance IT domain and so on to see how, how these companies are operating. And what I have seen also then, back then was quite interesting that where most of the time is spent and that's what what I have seen is more or less this kind of a silo situation that you have different departments everyone has in having their own data sets right, right, right. and this information is not really exchanged and then a lot of the time and especially on the business side and I was really going through this exercise I did for instance in, in Bratislava at the service center there together with the team I did quarterly closing and see how 
painted is just to reconcile all this financial information and data and say, okay, if if data, if number one is the same as number two, and if there is a difference, finding these differences. A lot of time is spent just in this data crunching, data comparison, reconciliation activities. I was just always wondering why not, why not simplify this? And also I've seen that there's so many processes around of things and no one was really understanding exactly what what is the background. Because if you boil down insurance, it's, it's about data. You need to somehow build up a risk, a risk profile around um, solid measurements that, that you need to get in. And then linking these kind of measurements um, with your internal decisions. And during this project, um, I also met Thomas. Yeah, co-founder. Yeah, I'm a previous boss and now a co-founder. And we always exchange ideas around yeah, on, on insurance, around data, around the, how the current um, world is working there. And we also, especially in this project, we also, also try to drive it to the edge, also really internally. But Internally, you always have these kind of borders where you cannot really progress with your ideas, and then you are stuck in your conversations, and yeah, and then with a lot of people saying, "Yeah, it's not going to work out," and why? Why should we do this? We always have done it the last 20 years like that. I'm not going to change it, and then you are not able to to get a step further, and. Therefore, like two or three years back, we were sitting down and always had this idea, yeah, let's start something outside, really on this kind of take the data, um, take real-time data and combine this directly with um, um, an insurance vehicle in that end. And that back then, the idea was not yet risk wolf, I would say. It was a little bit, yeah, let's do something with data, let's do something about improving the efficiency and simplifying the, the whole um, core. And this was interesting to see also with Thomas. He was also more, Thomas was also doing some different initiatives back then. And mainly one year back, or nearly now one and a half, we said, okay, let's do this. And then both we quit our job and started risk wolf. Yeah. And where was, which reinsurance company was Thomas working at at the time? Um, Thomas was basically working for the same consulting company as me. We both were in this kind of environment where we had like the big four. Right, right, right. There, some smaller stuff. So it's like a really, really big uh, corporate project. And we had there like a team of 10 guys and we were really f- focusing on on the, the closing piece. And we also worked in the investment in the investment area. We were building up a, a like big integration of financial interfaces and that during this project. Yeah, so one of the things you keep mentioning is data, data infrastructure, building the facility and the, the technology to understand all this data, right? It sounds like this is core to your idea, right? But f- finding reliable data itself is also really difficult, right? So it's like two sides of the same coin. How did you guys go once you broke off and started doing your own thing at RiskWolf? What was the process you and Thomas did to go about finding data sources that you thought were reliable and kind of rock solid? Once we're starting this, like internally, there are plenty of data sources around in each of these uh, companies. And what we said, we need to go to the root of everything, like the very, very first, what is going to measure if something happens in the real world. So we, we said we need to go not to the internal data, we need to go to the external data and think when something is going to happen, for instance, um, you have somewhere a flooding or you have extreme events that you can really, you look outside and everyone can observe this. Like this kind of data we were interested in. Right. So it needs to be a, a kind of an objective measurement that anyone could repeat 
if they want to do it. For instance, in the prominent example is, of course, Weller. And this is also the domain where we started. When we're building up our prototype, um, we used Weller data at the moment, okay. at the beginning. And there we started around product thing that could cover you against um, no snowfall because... Right, if you're a ski resort or something, yeah. Yeah, ski resort and so on, a whole ski area, and you're not getting any snow in over a certain time. And this was a little bit our starting point. But then we also have seen that this space is already quite crowded from existing um, existing companies. And also this was also quite mature. And we said, okay, should also select data, not only based on, on, on the measurement, but also looking at new business. Because all these big insurance companies, they're looking for the risk pools of the future. And then... We said we, we want to go more into the new domain, and there we identified cyber. So it's really about about the internet, about um, what's going on in the IT infrastructure. Yeah. And then just by coincidence, I was meeting an old friend who I was studying with. He is now a professor at the Monash University at, in Melbourne, and he was in Vienna. And we also went for a coffee and had an, an, a nice chat. What he was doing the last year, so he was doing a nice career on the academic side. So he was in, in Chicago and was building up the rock-solid method how you can measure internet. Internet, they yeah, are doing uptime and downtime and stuff like that. Basically, the quality of the internet and the degradation of the internet. Oh. And they were looking at this one as more from an academic perspective to use this as a proxy for economic activity. Can I interrupt you? Because that's actually really interesting. So what, basically what he was saying was, at some level, is as an academic, he was looking at internet uptime, downtime, internet resilience, and trying to sort of conflate that with economic activity and how those two things were related to each other. Definitely. This was the, the focus what they had. They were looking, for instance, they did publications on uh, global sleeping patterns. For instance, they were really comparing when people, uh, when a city is waking up and when a city is going to sleep. And they measured this by devices going on and offline. That is so cool. Yeah. And they developed a methodology for scanning the internet, like t taking a sample of 100,000 devices in a certain geographical location. Okay. And then using these endpoints, basically, to measure all of them. Really, every 50 minutes, asking, are you alive? What is, how is your response time? And this information is then build up into a kind of an index that represents the, the availability of, of the internet in a certain region. And they have this data basically for all major business regions uh, globally. Got it. it. I mean, look, that sounds like a super idea, but is this really a big problem in Europe? Or? Yeah, that's also funny. Uh, first step, what we did is we also then said, uh, look, look, Klaus, could you have a look at or send me some reports around um, the internet situation globally? And what we have seen is, and back then, is that in Europe, the internet was quite stable. You have seen outages, you have seen these kind of um, challenges, but they were not that frequent. Got it. And on, from a risk perspective, we're really more looking into these more high-frequency events, but with a low severity, meaning this is when you compare it, for instance, with the normal car insurance policies, like you drive a car and sometimes um, you hit another car, then you get a, some, some payout. And this kind of um, risk are, yeah, these are quite risk that the insurance industry is liking. And therefore, we looked at the data 
and these are data analysis. And then we have seen, especially in Southeast Asia, India and Africa, that here you have really sometimes issues on the internet on a global scale. For instance, what we have seen that in Vietnam, especially, sometimes the, the internet really drops for one, two days, like the not a full outage, but it's really a degradation, meaning that all the websites are getting really slow. If someone from Vietnam connects to to Zoom, it's really uh, painful because you, you're not able to establish a call anymore. It's not about a full outage, it's really about the degradation of the internet right. in, this, in these areas. And for instance, the issues here in, in Vietnam was mainly around um, undersea cable cuts. Oh, really? And this was also surprising for me that these cables that is connecting the internet, that sometimes they just got cut because you have a boat, a fishing boat, or like construction work, and then they just cut these cables. Oh, no. This is especially happening in Southeast Asia because they have, you have a lot of islands. Yeah. Uh, right, because there's a lot of traffic in and out of those little alleyways yes. between the islands, and I guess there are undersea cables there. So no one's purposely cutting them, but they're just getting cut accidentally. Yes. And also, I think last year it was also one of the cables in Vietnam. There was a construction work ongoing, I think, close to Singapore. And also, they already did it twice. And oh, no. they just they repaired the cable, and then months later, it happened again. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, once you figure this out, you've come to Southeast Asia, right, to kind of do a little bit of due diligence on the region. And you were here, what, pre-pandemic, at least at the beginning, right? Yes. I mean, how it was ending up, we were really selecting, saying, okay, what should we do? Should we look at Asia, India, or Africa? And then what we also took into consideration was a little bit the adoption of the digital usage. And right. that's, that's amazing what, what people like in Asia, if you look at Southeast Asia, what they are doing with their mobile phones. I think Europe is a stone age when you compare that. Yeah? And also like the adoption of all these e-wallets and, and these new solutions, or if you see, for instance, yeah, all these super apps and so on around it. It's, it's a different space. And that's also especially was also interesting for us. Also what these new players are doing also in the insurance space. And this was also the second reason why we said uh, we, we should definitely also have a look at the Southeast Asian markets. And what we also said, we also learned from other startups because we said what we need to, to approach the market first. So we also, we build up risk curve more on a prototype perspective, but then we said now we need to really understand the market better. And then we took the decision you know, um, for an extended business trip. So I combined my uh, Thailand holidays with an extended stay in Southeast Asia. So I was staying there like four and a half months, nearly. Yeah. And it was a great time. Yeah, I was really enjoying it. It was a quite interesting thing. You go there, you have no contacts. Think of how do you do this or how can you really go into a new market with a new company with no one you know and then start something there, yeah? So that was also a little bit... Daunting. So Yeah, it's a little bit daunting, right? I mean, it's very challenging to just go to a completely new environment, right? And try to start doing business there. What, what would you say you learned when you were here? I mean, I know it's kind of a generic question, but you were here for four and a half months. And then I'm also wondering... Did you notice any differences between the countries you visited? You're were, you were in Vietnam, right? You're in Singapore and you're in Thailand. Did you go anywhere else? Um, no, this was mainly the four, okay. the four areas I went to, yeah. What did you learn when you were here? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, my main learning is um, you have to talk to people. And, and this was for me so surprising, um, especially also with my first contacts. When I was arriving there, I had some help on, um, I was approaching the Chamber of Commerce. Ah, right. Some introductions. 
But then all of these introductions was just first meetings with some brokers and yeah, so a little bit on the side. And I was just telling them more on a coffee what you want to do in risk Wolf, And these people are really open. And also if they have not yet seen any immediate um, benefit for their business, for instance, the brokers were really more in the in a classical domain. They really helped me to connect them to the right people. And this That's was awesome. quite surprising. And for me, the, the main learning is not only, I think, for the Asia trip, but in general, if you want to go somewhere, you, you definitely need to communicate a lot and also really ask, don't be shy and say, oh, could, could you give me an introduction to this or that? And, and this was working was working out quite nicely. Awesome. And... I really, I was really enjoying also the openness of the people and saying, yeah, it's a great idea. Let's meet this guy or that guy, or I can give you an intro to to the to one company. I was really not expecting that, especially in Asia. Yeah, so I'm not sure how your experience is in this. Yeah, I mean, I find it very inclusive, right? If I want to meet somebody, I think that the people that I ask if I could get introduced to somebody generally are very open to it. It feels because so many things, at least in Thailand, but also in the rest of Southeast Asia, feel to me like greenfields, right? So it's not like somebody's already doing that thing, and even if they are, they're open to somebody else doing it as well, right? So I feel like kind of anything's possible. And that's one of the reasons why I've based myself here. Like I've made this long-term bet that the, the growth that's going to happen here is going to be faster, bigger, more significant than the growth that's going to happen, you know, in, in the West, let's say. And that just means that there's more opportunity here. So the fact that you figured that out, to me, is actually quite interesting. Let's get back to this idea, though. Did you see differences between your experience in Vietnam and in Thailand, let's say, or even in Singapore? And not from a bad way, but just like in Vietnam, they do things this way, that, that type of thing. Uh, one thing I can share is definitely on, on, also on the insurance side. When I was talking with people, for instance, in I think Thailand and Vietnam, we can... This would be a, be a comparison on on the Thailand side when I was talking also in the insurance space. A lot of the people told me, "Yeah, it's a great idea, but show me that this works somewhere else." Saying, "Okay, you, let's see if this is already somewhere a market that we can have a look at." And and on the Thailand was a little bit, that's a little bit, show me that, and then we we will adapt basically. This was the, the main message in Thailand. This was where I was having my first meetings. And then I was quite surprised in Vietnam because in Vietnam I also got some introductions to two leading insurance companies there, it's like Bauvit and VSS. Mm-hmm. So there was like number one uh, non-life insurer and number five the biggest private one. And also on both sides I was really surprised I was was going there. I was expecting a little bit yeah, I'm doing some coffee chats, but um, they had prepared the, the half of the board, yeah? So I was having conversations with the, the, the deputy CEO and they're saying, yeah, look, they were really striving for this new, they were really looking for for us in that sense. I wow. say, okay, you, you come here and you show us something that we, we, we really need, yeah? This was quite interesting. And then also both companies, they immediately say, let's sign, let's sign an NDA and start with something small in that sense. And this was quite interesting because it was just the, the first month or like one and a half months after Risk Group was founded. Yeah? And I was really surprised on how the Vietnamese insurance are seeing this kind of insurance topic and also this intro tax. And they are really looking actively for, for partnerships. So they're also doing this with other companies. And they're seeing this really for someone to give them at a platform or a new way how you can distribute. 
but they're really actively looking for this kind of um, companies and they're quite open for also for kind of partnerships with them. I feel like Vietnam has the opportunity to leapfrog, right? In other words, depending on the stage of development for any particular country, they're already fixed with some, a bunch of legacy systems or just legacy things that they've been using. If something new comes along to them, it's not just new, it's the only thing. And they can maybe leapfrog the rest of the market. Is that fair? That's true. I think that's definitely what they're striving on. Also, also what I've seen the initiatives they're taking on. It's really at the moment what they're doing is they're working really a lot of people with uh, papers and so on and doing really mm-hmm. more traditional business, especially on on on, this, on the insurance side and the board having the strategy to adapt like the the new solutions for the future. Yeah. And especially in the digital space, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the idea of digital transformation in Southeast Asia in general is, has definitely taken hold, right? And whether that's insurance or any other business, that it's clear that they're very interested in this. So your timing was actually really good. I've got another question for you, though. When you were here, it sounds like you were kind of running around a lot, right? You were in Thailand, so you are in Bangkok. You went to Singapore and talked to insurance companies there. Obviously, you went to Vietnam for a while. But while you were doing that... Somehow you found the time to apply and get into or get accepted into the plug and pay tech center back H in was it in Sunnyvale? Yes, this was also. Awesome. How was that? Like, well, how did you do that, and what was that like? Is it is that program over? The program is now over. Yes, I think we closed it now two weeks. Okay. And it started also. We are approached from plug and play that did some tech scouting. I'm not sure how they f- were finding us. Oh wow! Yeah, how does that work? Maybe they're having some some AI technology to, to find the right companies. And all, I don't know. But in the end, um, yeah, I think it was January and I was also in Asia and they was approaching us and saying, yeah, you got selected by the corporate. You need to come to California for a two-day pitch event. Yeah. And back then, traveling was still possible. So we decided, yeah, let's go there. So Thomas was flying in from Europe. I was flying in from, from Southeast Asia. And then we both met again in, in Sunnyvale, in California. You went there to physically pitch to them. I forgot yes. about that, actually. Yes. Yeah, okay. That was a while ago. Then we met the full team there, and we had a great time in, in California. And after that, basically, we, we, I went back to Europe. And the strange thing was... I had a little bit seen the experience on, on COVID in, in Asia. Right. When I was coming back to Europe, I was looking at the numbers and say, oh, that's not, that's not looking good. And what I did, I was then just booking a flight back to Asia. So I was a little bit traveling around. And before like the, the COVID wave hit Europe, I was back um, in Asia and there was just a few cases then. Right, but you were here when the pandemic was on, right? So you kind of got yes. lo- you kind of got locked down in Thailand for I don't know how long was it? I think five weeks or something like that. So a month and a bit. And what was that like? Were you still able to get all of your work done? Did you feel kind of untethered or disconnected, or was everything kind of okay? I mean, on risk of via anyhow, from the day one, we took a kind of a remote first approach. So also the, the team is a little, little bit over in like five different time zones. Okay. And also there we already were used to really work this kind of different in a remote environment. Um, of course, uh, you were not able to meet per, uh, people as a person, but especially on, on Vietnam, for them it was a little bit the first time, so we also had some delays to get this up to speed again. Got it. But 
then also there it was we also doing no regular meetings over Skype calls and yeah it's I think it would be, definitely it would be better if you can go there and really work with them together. But on the other hand, it's also you just need to adapt. And now with with the whole video situation, it's working quite nicely. Yeah. I mean, the only thing what I have experienced in Thailand, especially, also really the problem that we have seen in the data that sometimes you need to work. You you want to log in, but then it's not working anymore. It's like this kind of this downtime issues. It's like one two hours. Yeah, you're not able to connect. That's something I really experienced and also in person when I had to work as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I work in True Digital Park a lot, right? And when the internet is on, it's on and it's on hard. Like, it's really fast. I was measuring today. For me, it kind of varies between 400 megabits up and down to 600 megabits up and down. So it's fast. But when it goes down, it just goes down. Yeah, that's true. Do you know what I mean? And, and it hurts, right? Because you were making this relationship between business activity and internet outages. And the more that the world moves towards this digital transformation and digital businesses, the more important that feels like it's going to become, no? Yes. And also, so one experience I also had here, another personal one was back then, we also did a kind of an investor roadshow with the E27 program, and ah, they also right. moved it um, online. Yeah, meaning yeah. We got plenty of introductions um, for investors, yeah. and everything was going on over the Skype course. And I mean, the good thing is Thomas was on a stable line in Europe. But for me, it's not fun if you're talking to investors and then you have dropouts and whatever and you need to reschedule cars. So it's really, really a pain and it's getting really frustrated, I can tell you. So, so there I said, okay, I'm not turning on my computer anymore if this is going to happen. And it's not only like, I really was really frustrated personally, not that I lost any money, but said, okay, now today I'm not working anymore. It's, it's enough. Yeah, because if it goes up and down and up and down, you can't yeah. get anything done. That, but, but so it works and then it drops out for five minutes and it's not, it's not fun, especially if you have really this kind of life exposure in that sense. Yeah, yeah exactly. When you're, in, when you're in it in real time, which is important, obviously, particularly from a business perspective, but also from a personal perspective, it can just get really frustrating. And that gets us back to this product that you're trying to build or part of the product that you're trying to build, which is this coverage around those outages. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Look, Renee, this has been a fabulous conversation. I really want to thank you. I've been asking you for a long time to do this. I really appreciate you taking the time, Renee Papesh, a co-founder and the CTR Risk Wolf, for coming in and doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Michael.